May the Lord our God be with us just as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the evangelist Luke as recorded in chapter 17 verses 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for that person if a millstone would be hung around his neck and he would be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which one of you who has a servant plowing or taking care of sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Won't the master tell him instead, prepare my supper and after you are properly dressed, serve me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. He does not thank the servant because he did what he was commanded to do, does he? So also you, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what we were supposed to do. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know about you, but I have never uprooted a mulberry tree or any tree by telling it, be uprooted and have it happen. How many of you have had that happen? Raise your hand. Well, then don't you think you don't have faith? So that's what we're going to talk about today because it's easy to misunderstand this text. Our theme for today is, is your faith too weak? And to answer that question, we really have to put our text in its context. And so I will be reading on my own translation of the Greek to bring out some of the nuances of this text. So it says, and he said to his disciples, this is the larger group of people, not just the apostles, snares of sin will inevitably come, except woe be upon the one through whom it comes. Today we call them booby traps, but the devil has a plan with these booby traps. The plan isn't just to trip you up a little bit. The plan is he finds where your faith is weak or mine. He finds where we especially struggle. You know that pet sin? And he wants it. He wants us to embrace that sin and love it more than God. So lots of times he uses even brothers and sisters in Christ to give us a push. And then the snare has us. And we are held. These are death traps. And so he says... They're bound to come. They're inevitable. The devil's waiting to trap you. But he says, except woe be upon the one through whom it comes. This is the opposite of a blessing when he says, woe. This is something bad. This is a horror. This is a curse. And so in verse 2, he says, it would be better for him if a millstone is placed around his neck and he's thrown into the sea than that he should cause even one of these little ones to stumble. Now, when he says little ones here, he seems to be talking about little children, but here, the word that he uses for little ones, it can really be those who are just small in faith, if you will. And so what Jesus is saying here, even causing an adult, wham, the death trap. Now, I have to share with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've had plenty of times where I've said things and somebody has misunderstood me. 
It's not even what I said. We send out emails and we send out texts today and people can read an emotion in there like a negative emotion when you may be elated. And wham! They're in that death trap. As a matter of fact, one apostle will really come to learn this lesson many years later. The apostle Peter, when he is in Antioch, didn't mean to, didn't even say anything wrong. But you know, sometimes the last thing to be converted on someone is their stomach. At least that's what they, the Christians used to say. And if you grew up with all those ceremonial laws, you might think eating certain foods like bacon. Well, it'd be like if you said, here, Pastor Sherman, have some roasted rat on a stick. We'd better be on a desert island and about to starve to death before you're going to get me to eat roasted rat on a stick. Well, those Jewish Christians in Antioch, they started returning back to that ceremonial dietary laws. And Peter didn't say to anybody you had to. He just started doing the same thing with them. And it was actually causing the Gentile Christians to go, Am I not saved? Am I supposed to follow this? And so it's the Apostle Paul who stands up and says, Peter, calls him out, says, your practice is actually teaching something wrong. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it easy for you and I, without even realizing it, to accidentally even become the devil's death snare for somebody else? Who? Who might you right now be misrepresenting and maybe you don't even realize it? This is some scary stuff here. And Jesus doesn't even stop there. He says, start and do not stop paying attention to yourselves. Whenever your brother sins, then you are to reprimand him. And whenever he repents, then you are to forgive him. Now, notice in verse 4, he's going to say sins against you. But in verse 3, he doesn't put that narrowing factor on there. He says, whenever your brother sins, then you are to reprimand him. And whenever he repents, then you are to forgive him. Oh boy, that can be really tough in today's day and age, can't it? There are a lot of things that we know are sin that if you tell somebody, I love you and I want you to know you're sinning when you do this, boy, you better hang on. How dare you? Let me make sure that you lose your job. Let me make sure that you are ostracized in our community. And then he adds, And if he were to sin against you seven times during the day, and he returns to you seven times and says, I'm repenting, then you will always forgive him. It may be the same sin seven times in a day. I'm sorry I did that. We're to forgive them. But what if it's a different sin? Jesus doesn't say it has to be the same sin. What if seven times they sin against you? Isn't it easy for our sinful nature to say, and number eight, now we can play the revenge game. Here we go. <laughs> That's not what Jesus says. In fact, at another time, Peter would say, Lord, how, much, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, up to 77 times. And when Jesus says that, he wasn't saying, all right, now we're at 78. This takes a very strong faith. We have a sinful nature. And to love somebody else, to live your life saying, how can I be so careful that I am not being a snare for them to fall into sin? Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you that 
When I was going to seminary, I had a summer vicarage in which I knocked on doors and did canvassing, and then I had a senior vicarage in which I did that in the fall. And I remember many times coming to doors and people telling me, I used to belong to a church. I used to belong to a church, and then the pastor was really awful to me. And then that one group was really awful to me. And I have to admit to you, with some of them, I really was given the impression that they were really awful to others. The congregation stood up to them and then they left. But it can be really easy. And I've met people who have been in this position. Or even brothers and sisters in Christ in a congregation drove them away and they weren't coming to the word of God. They were hurt. And then we're supposed to repent them. We're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to forgive them. We're supposed to use that binding and loosing key. And in fact, what is the binding key? That's when we proclaim the law as summarized by the Ten Commandments. That law does not make a person a believer. That law shows their sin. That's what it is. So we have to be careful here. We're not just being busybodies and being nags, but isn't it easy for us to go, well, that member in our congregation, they're hurting. Not my problem. To go and actually show them their sin. And, and when they repent, to say, let's pour the blood of Christ on that. Your sin is gone. That takes a strong faith. And that's why we get to the crux of the matter. Is your faith too weak about this not being able to tell to get a tree to be uprooted? In verse 5, after hearing all this about not causing somebody to sin and, and to forgive them every time when they, with repentance, verse 5, we're told, And so the apostles said to the Lord, Please increase our faith. Literally, the Greek language here says, add faith to us. They don't have a strong enough faith, they think, to tell a mustard seed to be, I mean, a, a, a mulberry tree to be uprooted. They feel like they don't even have the faith to prevent somebody from falling into sin, from somebody getting trapped into that snare that, that's, that the devil intended. So in verse 6, we're told, then he said... Now, I've got to tell you before I read this, this in a way you could say is not good Greek grammar. And yet Luke is a doctor. <laughs> Luke knows good Greek grammar. It begins as a simple present condition. Now, in the Greek language with a conditional sentence like that, what it means is point, since point A happens, then the, then the apotheosis naturally follows. But when you get to the apotheosis, all of a sudden it becomes a past contrary to fact. So what Jesus is saying here actually is, since you guys keep on having faith, similar to a mustard seed, the apostles actually do have faith. They have faith at least the size of that little mustard seed. How do we know they have faith? Because the apostle Peter himself will confess several times, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he actually is saying, since you guys right now, since you keep on having faith, then you guys could have been saying, that's the past, to this mulberry tree or to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would have obeyed you. Not just be, I, mean, I could smack a tree with my truck and knock it over, right? Maybe do some damage to my truck. But then to be uprooted in the sea, that would be the Mediterranean Sea, the depths of the sea, of the ocean. How come we can't do this? In fact, we're never told of an apostle actually doing this, although we do know some of them will even will heal people and, and will do miracle of raising the dead. But the key to this is when he says, since you do have faith, and then said, 
You could have been saying to this mulberry tree, be uprooted. Not uproot yourself, not I uproot you. Be uprooted and be planted in the seed. That's the passive. Somebody else is uprooting that tree. Somebody else is planting it. Who is that somebody? That somebody is God. We call this the theological passive. Too many Christians get confused and they think of it being their power. They think of faith as, I call it the Dumbo faith because I remember when I was a kid watching Dumbo and it turned out being his ears were so big he could glide, which scientifically already impossible. But they had to just get him to have confidence in himself. Say, you can fly, you can fly. Sometimes people think if you reach in your stuff and you find the power, you try hard enough and believe that. Wow, it's not our power. It's God's. And if it's God's power, it's got to be according to God's will. And it would have been God's will that day. They have the faith. So they could have done that. It would be God's will later that they would heal people and that they would raise the dead. But it's got to be in accord with God's will and they've got to understand it's God's power. God's power to do this. God is the one who gives faith. We have to remember what faith is. Faith is the Holy Spirit living in our hearts so that we have a new man. And that new man clings to something. And what he clings to is the fact that you and I are sinners and we could not earn or contribute to our salvation. So God became a man. That's Jesus. And he did all the work. And yes, it's a greater act of faith to know your sins are forgiven. And if you know that, you definitely have faith at least the size of a mustard seed. So, is your faith too weak? God has given you faith. If you've come to the word today, you've come to hear your sins are forgiven. You come because you know Jesus is your savior, that he's true God. So you have this faith. Now, wouldn't it be easy then for the disciples to turn around and, and maybe say, look at the miracles I can do. And in fact, a lot of Christians get confused. They'll say things like, if you can't speak in tongues, then you don't have a strong enough faith. God doesn't command us always to speak in tongues, does he? And in fact, then it makes people go, I must not be a believer. And it confuses everything. So Jesus, with the crux of the matter now resolved, we know that faith is clinging to Christ. And with that, when it's God's will, God gives you the power to do that according to his will. And so that they don't get swollen heads, Jesus gives a further explanation, starting at verse 7. Now, who among you, if he has a slave who has just come in from plowing or pasturing sheep in the fields, would say, Come here beside me and recline at the table right now. But wouldn't he say to his slave, prepare whatever I am eating, and after rolling up your sleeves, literally the Greek there is when they wore those long olives and, and they tuck it into their belt so their knees would be freed up. But today we tend to roll up our sleeves for work. So start waiting upon me and do not stop until I have ate and drank. And then after these things, you yourself may eat and drink for yourself. He does not have gratitude for the slave because the slave did what he was directed to do. So, now none of the apostles ever owned slaves, and we got to be careful not to put today's history on it, but the point of it is if you had an employee, if, if you went and, and your waiter took your order at a restaurant and then went off and took his lunch break and his dinner break and comes back an hour later and then brings you out your food, wouldn't you feel kind of gypped? So, no, 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 I, we were paying you to do this. So it's the same thing with an employer. If he has lined up what he wants you to do in an eight-hour day and you clock in, he expects you to get that work done. He's not going to turn around and say, wow, thank you, here's a bonus for doing what I paid you.
to do what I'm paying you to do. And so Jesus continues, likewise, when you guys yourselves have done all the things that you were directed to do, then you guys are to say, we continue being undeserving of merit slaves. We have done what we were supposed to do. Wow. So the point about the whole faith and everything is God has built this into you with your new person. In fact, Luther said a very brilliant thing one time that I think summarizes a lot of this. He said, you don't have to tell the sun to shine. That's what God designed it to do. God has put a new person in you. He's designed that new person to cling to Christ and to show God's glory. We have a sinful nature that we wrestle with, and so that new person is designed to do that. So is your faith too weak? You have faith. That's why you're here today, hearing the word of God. God built it in you, and he expects you to forgive. He's not going to turn around and say, wow, you really lived to my son's glory. Here you go. Take, you know, here's, a, here's an extra 20 bucks. It's what he's built your new person to do. And if he had not given us that new person, we would be unable to do it. And so it is, some applications, that sometimes you get people who come to a congregation. and you know, God gives us natural and he gives each one of us spiritual gifts. And sometimes you can see somebody has the gift and you say, hey, would you mind serving our church in this capacity? And sometimes they give the excuse that, well, my faith is just not strong enough. Well, that's not right. God has given them the faith. Now, God does give different gifts. And you've heard me say in, in other sermons, when I was a member at Good Shepherd Cheyenne, there was a man who was mentally handicapped, and he had a gift that I just think is amazing. I don't want to use the word jealous because sinfulness is involved in jealousness, but I remember Sunday after Sunday walking into church and his handing a bulletin, to you, and he was just so excited for everybody who came into that church. God had given that man a gift. He might not have been able to speak clearly. He may not have been able to do complex math equations, but he sure could show you God's love when you walked in the door. And I've always thought that was an amazing gift. But sometimes when people use their gifts, and it can get hard when it seems to go unappreciated, sometimes people say, wow, uh, and this is why they want to be able to do miracles. Look at how I can speak in tongues. Look at how I can jump up. Look at all the things I can do. Aren't I entitled to glory? Aren't I entitled to salvation? If God gives us what we're entitled to, we go to hell. The fact that he's given us the new person and saved us is already an amazing grace. And then he's built into that new person to glorify him and, and, and to show his love. And so we've got to be careful because sometimes people, even in congregations, they think that their job is to show up, plop down in the pew, and never do anything. Oh, except for boss and tell other people how they are to serve them. That is the sinful nature. That is not a gift that God has given us. So when God gives you a gift, recognize we all have natural gifts, and they vary among all of us. And we all have spiritual gifts. Some have more, some have less, and they vary among all of us. But God expects us to use them. He's given them to us. And combined all together, we certainly, as the body of Christ, have all the gifts we need. So is your faith too weak? No. You know that Christ is your Savior. And therefore, you have the faith. You know you're forgiven. You have the faith to forgive. You have the faith to use the binding key, which shows people their sins. 
and you have the faith to use the loosing key, that's when you pour the blood of Christ upon them and remove their sins. And if you feel at times that your faith is too weak, that it's not strong enough, let me conclude the sermon by reading Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one about whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of peace, who preach the gospel of good things. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who believed our message? So then, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. Amen. Now, to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.